So Money episode 135, Margaret Cho. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. What a special treat today. We've got an amazing guest, Margaret Cho, an award-winning comedian and incredibly creative performer who's often called the queen of all media. She's conquered the worlds of film, television, books, music, and theater. Her comedy tours always sell out, and this fall she'll be embarking on a new tour with her latest concert special, Psycho, which is all about Margaret's take on today's news and events. She'll also be appearing in the new movie, Toucan, which arrives on digital HD and video on demand later this month. It's a parody of uh, the Taken movie series with Liam Neeson. Equally as important as her art is the causes she is passionate about. Margaret is widely recognized for her charitable work with gay rights, anti-bullying campaigns, and the homeless community, which grew out of a tribute to her dear friend, Robin Williams. So many takeaways from our interview with the dynamic Margaret Cho, among them how hamburgers offered early lessons about money growing up in San Francisco with immigrant parents, the financial opportunity that she passed on years ago, which could have made her millions and Margaret's advice for earning what you're worth. How does she negotiate her deals in Hollywood? Here is Margaret Cho. Margaret Cho, welcome to So Money. I'm beyond excited. This is a big deal for us. Oh, thank you. That's great. I've been a fan for a very long time. I think I, um, growing up watching your comedy, I felt as though we were kindred spirits a little bit. Although I'm not Korean, I am Iranian, and I have immigrant parents who also put very weird things in my lunchbox growing up. And um, (laughs) we were often making fun of my mom. It was very much a part of our cultural patchwork, this uh, sort of awkwardness of being you know, different. And and so, um, thank you for your comedy. Thank you for bringing this to the forefront and making, allowing us to laugh about it. I think it's great. Oh, well, good. Thank you very much. So you're everywhere these days, Margaret, the Golden Globes, of course, uh, hilarious. You're in the new movie, uh, Toucan, which is coming up. It's a parody of the Liam Neeson movie series, Taken. Tell us about this. What made you want to be a part of it? Um, I wanted to do it because, uh, for me, um, a challenge for doing uh, playing men. I, I think it's really fun to play uh, men. I like the I, I like I like the uh, kind of uh, the ability to do it, and um, I just I, I like it when I can kind of like not have to be all glam. I can just sort of be myself, and that's a really freeing and fun thing. Yes, and now you're 46, right? How how is it being yourself these days? Do you feel as though you have really gotten more and more comfortable as an individual out there speaking publicly about a lot of hard things and awkward things and taboo topics from sexuality to gender to um, race? How do you how does it feel now to be doing this sort of comedy? I think it feels right. I mean, I think it feels like you know the, the kind of thing that I should be doing. I mean, to me, it feels appropriate and it feels um like I'm I'm doing the right thing for myself and uh enjoying um my skill level at it. You know, it takes a lot of skill to be able to talk about things that make people uncomfortable. 
and make them comfortable with laughing about it. So uh, I'm proud of that. I, I love it. I love your your people after the Golden Globes were a little – some people, of course, because you're not going to please everybody, but some people were taken aback by your um, your presentation at the Golden Globes. And I love what you tweeted um, in response to that, that it wasn't about race, but it was about rice. Well, yeah, I wasn't playing the race card. I was playing right, not playing the race card, playing the rice card, <laughs> um, which is, again, going back to what you said about um, – you have to be very strong in order to, to, to go out there with this sort of message in comedy that not only is it just doing the comedy, but also, um, the conversation that's going to come up as a result of it and, and making sure that, you know, you're, you ha- can stay true to it. Uh, this fall, you have a new tour, Psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. and it's uh, your take on today's news and events. What is your overall sentiment on how things are going in 2015? <laughs> I think it's actually really, scary, you know, I mean, especially when you're talking about women's rights and feminism and um, the, uh, the curious kind of case of Bill Cosby, where you are seeing now over 40 women coming forward with the same story, exactly, and all different women, and over many years, um, who have been attacked by him, and, and now he's sort of kind of not even addressing it and kind of not even going to prison to this, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm so like, why is he still able to perform and uh, go out and do shows? Like, why has this sort of unaffected, I mean, it's affected him surely, but it sort of unaffected his life in terms of, you know, what, what, was, what will actually happen? Somebody like that needs to face up to what they have done. And I don't see any kind of thing where that's happening. And how many people do you have to have like come forward and say, you know, they've all said the exact same thing. And so this is a real, real problem for me. And, and how we deal with violence, uh, against women. Um, you know, people like Bill or, or, or even somebody younger, um, like Chris Brown, who has a mm-hmm. very healthy career. And a very public history of violence, or um, you know, you, you you see just many cases of things that people just kind of want to forget, and um, you know that that there's violence are all over the world that's happening. You know that that we are not really addressing. And so the 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 point of my show is is how do we manage to find a place of peace and and through anger, I think is the solution and comedy is the solution. So that's what I'm trying to do. And just as an aside, what angers me most about Chris Brown is that Rihanna has taken him back, you know? So the mm-hmm. issue is not just him. It's also her. And being that she's also a public figure, what message is she sending out, you know, returning to this abusive right. abusive person? Well, we're not going to talk about abuse on this show um, the whole hour or the whole half hour, but uh, I love that you – are willing to go to the edge and talk about these type of topics. On this show, we talk about money, which I think culturally mm-hmm. is still a very awkward topic. And my goal is to really make this fluent and comfortable and bringing on um, amazing, accomplished people like you to speak openly about your experiences with money, your perspectives on money, your failures, your successes, I think can really open up that dialogue. So thank you for being here. Of course. With immigrant parents, Margaret, what was the perspective on money that they shared with you growing up, if that any? It was very precious. It was very precious. Um, so my family came to America 
1964, they had exactly $125, which was basically gone after the first uh, few days to rent and um, you know, some sense of security for I guess, the months that they were they, they were start, starting off. And uh, my father could not speak English very well, and so he was immediately fired from his first job, which was a busboy for Nessie's, which is a very famous uh, Italian restaurant in San Francisco. And, um, you know, they experienced a lot of racism in it, in it and it's to the point where they won't even talk to me about it. They don't want me to know the stories or tell the stories about that era. Um, but finally, they sort of settled in a, they got a, a coffee shop, and every time they made a hamburger, which is the biggest item on the menu, um, they made a dollar. So every hamburger was a dollar. So if you there went to them for something, and they would be like, okay, well, that's 80 hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like, it was actually sort of the, the, you measured the weight in hamburgers, and every dollar, it was a painful, it was a painful thing, because, you know, I had to make a hamburger, too. I was actually um, in there doing it. I, I, you know, I was very young, but I was still in the back at Short Order Cook, um, which was my first job, uh, before I was 10 years old. So I knew the value of a dollar, because I knew how, what it took, to actually make it, and um, that would be over the, uh, you know, the fryer, and and um, you get very hot, and it was oily. You get, you get probably flat. not legal <laughs> for you to be it's working. Totally, totally illegal, totally Victorian child labor. But of course, nobody cared. And then I, uh, they also sold cigarette packs for a dollar. Um, and so, you know, this is my parents' fault. I started smoking at a real young age. <laughs> like, like eight, eight or nine. But, you know, it was all because it was a dollar. And so, it sort of, you know, clued me in to, to sort of this idea that the dollar was really the building block to life or in cigarettes, that's death too. Um, but that the amassing of dollars was really all life was about. And, um, you know, they made more money, made more money, uh, to the point enough hamburgers were made where they could buy a bookstore. Um, and the bookstore was in, uh, San Francisco, also it was on Polk Street, and it was a very, very popular venue for, uh, younger gay men, um, who had an interest in art and fashion and photography, and, you know, there, there was some, a little bit of porn in there too, but it wasn't actually a porn store. And the books were quite expensive. Uh, many hamburgers, went into the purchase of every book. And um, so that was really a great time for them business life. But unfortunately, um, it was it was a sort of a, a, a down slide because the political movement happening then, it was all Harvey Milk. After Harvey Milk was assassinated, it was terribly, it really depressed the community. Hmm. Um, and then after that, um, AIDS totally devastated the community. So you saw... Um, this very, very thriving, very, very active, very busy business community um, and merchants, a lot of gay merchants um, having to shut down because all of their customers had died and often a lot of the merchants had died. So uh, we got, we got, we got to um, deal with this. So we witnessed this, the entire, the decline um from the disease, uh, from AIDS, from an uh, absolute economic point of view, and of course a, a family point of view, because everybody that worked for my family was a, was family. 
um, not literally at that point, but they become family through our uh, long years together. And, you know, so we saw the de- devastation of AIDS on many levels. Um, uh, unfortunately, we had to um, close the bookshop because we had no more customers. And that entire area of San Francisco now um, is not what it was. You know, it really was a sort of a historic center for gay life in the 70s and talked a lot about in Armistead Mopin's Tales of, Tales of the City, which is a famous series of books about the city. Armistead Mopin actually did book signings at my father's store when I was a little girl. And so um, we were the center of the universe for gay life in San Francisco in the 70s. And, and when um, AIDS came around, everything turned very, very, very sad, very, very quickly. So uh, that was the economic um, situation of my family, that, that they were pretty devastated after the close of the bookstores, which was the late 80s, and then sometime in the early 90s, I had moved to Los Angeles. I, I during the entire time, had started doing comedy and um, making money there. Uh, and so I was able to kind of leave on my own accord very quickly. Going back to when you first decided you wanted to become a comedian at age 14, what did your mother tell you? She told me, well, I told her, she, I told her I wanted to do comedy, and she said, oh, maybe it's better if you just die. Because <laughs> maybe it's just like, better if you just died. Yeah, okay. Yeah. She was like, I, uh, I, I you know, it's like, I don't know, um, I, you know, I, I, like, I don't know how that's going to possibly make any money, because there's just... There's how many hamburgers is that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of hamburgers. I mean, I think she just did not understand... Like, well, where is the hamburger making when you're doing comedy? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I just didn't know. So but, but, uh, but, um, but yet you did it. And, um, you, I think in some ways having that perspective of seeing the cyclicalness of business and knowing that there are risks to everything and sometimes you can't foresee them, a comedy, well, performance art is very, very risky. And so maybe you were, mm-hmm. that was good that it conditioned you in a way you weren't that fearful. Maybe, but I mean, to me, the, the payment of comedy was uh, the, the, the doing of it. You know, that, that to me, that what paid me um, was the fact that I was able to perform. I mean, the performing was something I loved so much. Um, I could picture myself paying to do it, you know. And fortunately, uh, it actually paid me very, very well to do it, but I, I love it so much that it, the money was not really the motivating factor. I mean, it is now to some extent because I do I have the ability to pick and choose what to do, but I would do comedy um, uh, for any reason, whenever prompted, and for for anybody or any 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 kind of event. Uh, I really I really love the art form. What would you say is your financial philosophy, Margaret, if you had one, like a money mantra that is something that you picked up along the way? Oh, uh, my money mantra, uh, well, I just won't really buy it until I absolutely have to buy it. And then if I have to buy it, that means I have to buy a whole bunch of it. So <laughs> Because you waited like, so long. <laughs> I waited so long. Well, or, or you know, it's like I finally found something I like. I had very particular taste. So I'll buy something, and I usually will buy 10 of it so that I don't have to buy it again. 
So, you know, I found a pair of pants that I like that were pretty expensive. And I really liked them. And uh, I, I, I bought, uh, like, as many. I keep going into different sources and buying all the ones that they have of it in that size. Do you generally not like to shop? Is that why? Or you just don't like the, like, you just don't want to be bothered with the experience. So you just like find something you like and buy multiple copies. I I like to shop, but I don't really buy that much because I'm very, I like to shop because I like to look things, but I don't buy that much. I'm very specific. I I have to love it and I have to know that I'm going to wear it all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, like for clothes and things like that, you know, that I'm really, really specific about my taste and I know that. I spent a lot of years trying to figure out what my size style was, and now that I have, I've really never, never changed about out of it. So that now I really have the freedom of I never think about what I'm going to wear because it's kind of a uniform because I have the same of everything. Yes, every day. a uniform is something that women would just never consider. You know, I feel like men yeah. men have uniforms, and it's it it reduces decision fatigue, which we talk about on the show a lot. You know, just the ability to just know what you're going to wear, know what you're going to eat. Sometimes having a routine, anything routine in your life, while it sounds boring, it can really be um, uplifting in ways. Yes, yes, very uplifting. Well, it frees you up to do so much other stuff. You know, if you have a uniform, that you don't have to like sit there and like ponder mm-hmm. of like, okay, what am I gonna? How am I gonna present myself today? But you, if you already know, that's what I would say. I spend my money on is my uniform because my uniform is very, it's expensive. But it's perfect every time. Yeah. And you, you know? feel good in it. Yeah. And it has maybe like a, a couple of slight size variations. So it'll, it'll accommodate my, my, uh, weight fluctuations, which are minor, but they do affect, uh, me a little bit. So I, you know, I have like fat pants and thin pants, but they all look exactly the same. Right, right, right. Well, we so, already, yeah. we, we, you were generous in talking a lot about growing up and, um, helping your parents with their businesses and the hamburger story. Just so really cute. And, um, but also a, a great life lesson. What would you say, uh, it, once you started making money as an act, as a comedian, um, as an actor, what would you say was the biggest money mistake you made? Um, this money mistake I made. Uh, well, I think maybe it was just not um, not trusting certain things or, or not wanting to buy an apartment. I was offered a, you know that movie, Nine and a Half Weeks? Yes. Okay, I was offered that apartment. Oh. Um, that that uh, a friend of mine, that's my, my friend's place. And um, I was offered it uh, probably 1994, and I did have the money. I was offered it for less than $400,000. Um, and I, I, I was so overwhelmed. I said, no. And the thing is, is now that place is like not just doubled, not just tripled, or not just quadrupled. I mean, the, the value of that apartment um it's pretty astronomical. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mean, I, I think that it's probably worth at least eight or nine million at the Oh very my least. gosh. Um, so, and I was offered it point blank and like, you got to buy it right now. Like, and I'll give it to you for $400,000. And I knew it wasn't a scam. I knew the, I've been to the apartment. Of course you've seen it. 
On, so what uh, was the problem? <laughs> I, scared, I was scared to buy a house. I yeah. was really scared to buy a house. And I, I really remained scared uh, to buy a house until I bought my house. <laughs> so you did eventually become a homeowner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That well, was in 2000. I can't blame you. That was, you don't ever, I mean, how at that point, while it's $400,000, while you even had the money, it's still a big purchase. It's more than a big purchase. It's a gigantic yeah. purchase. You don't make that decision lightly. Yeah. There was also another occasion where I was, I was offered a restaurant or a partnership in a restaurant, and that was some, for some $25,000, and I, I didn't want to do it, didn't want to do it, and then did, did, and eventually not, and I didn't do, do it. And now uh, the owners are all, they all became multimillionaires. There was two other guys, and it was going to be me and the two other guys. Now they're, uh, they have actually quit work, and then they, they uh, have yachts. Oh, no. <laughs> like, it's like not even just like a normal, like, being rich kind of life. They, they have uh, yachts. Yes. They are, they are the point oh oh one percent Real millionaire. So, I mean, but to me, I live very, very, very comfortably now uh, and um, really never took those kinds of risks. I mean, it's not, I don't know, I think, I mean, being a homeowner always is sort of eternally a risk. But when I did it in 2000, it really didn't seem like a risk. And now my home that I purchased has uh, gone up in value, about uh, quadrupled in value. Um, which is very satisfying and good, and continues to rise as I continue to do improvements on it because I really believe that um, this is where I will be for my entire life. It's such an emotional investment, and if you were, if your heart wasn't in it, like you know, you were maybe you wouldn't have held on to it for you know when you said 1994, so that was like I don't know. 20 years ago, maybe you would have sold it in yeah. five years. It wouldn't have. I mean, now it seems like oh wow, I was so short sighted, but. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious now, to learn. Yeah, I'm happy though. Yeah. And now you're happy and that's what matters as a female in show business. How do you negotiate? I mean, there's all this talk now, um, about equal pay. I mean, we've been talking about it forever, but I feel like now it's really, um, become more of a hot topic again, thankfully, this um, notion that women need to be make equal pay as a female yeah. in show business. How do you how do you protect yourself? Do you do? Are you ever in those conversations when you're negotiating a deal? Oh yeah, and, and I but I usually always get the most. Like I always negotiate for myself. Um, if it's a television show, I, I would I I would hope hopefully that I would get the most money out of everybody, regardless of gender, um, and even regardless of ability. So I have that sort of ability, kind of. Um, I, I don't really make very many movies, and the movies that I do make, I'm the only person in it. So that's, you know, that's you know, better comedy movies, so I do get paid most. Um, as a comedian on the road, and what I do um, in stand-up, uh, I make, uh, I'm at the top of the profession. Um, I don't believe that, you know, anybody at my level makes more than me, regardless of gender. Um, and that's something that I can't even really speak to because I don't know what kind of comedian I would be if I was a man. I think part of my appeal and my in my fans and what I do is, is, is because I'm a woman and because I'm a woman of color. And and mm-hmm. so I don't know what the value of or, or uh, what the exchange would be or who my um, 
peers are exactly because it's a very specific uh, identity. And that's a great place to be in, frankly. You know, yeah. you, you don't have to be measuring yourself against any any quote unquote counterparts. I think that's a that's a really good pr- and you know we should all take on that perspective that we're all yeah. individuals and that you know we all should receive the utmost. And it's not about yeah. what Sally down the cubicle is earning or what this guy that you know and our our counterparts earning that we bring unique value that is unmatched. What a great perspective. Okay. I talked about, we talked about financial failure. How about your so money moment, Margaret? Like, you know, I, I'm actually pretty curious to know when you got that first big paycheck, was there something really um, formidable that you did with it that you look back and you're like, I, I was smart with that money? What, what's an example of when you were really, really smart with money? Oh, gosh. I think, I think buying art. Um, I, I bought some painting, um, and I mean that 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 I, I started to buy art, and then that um, not only I mean, it was joyful for me, um, it, it, it they really appreciated value. So I have um, a number of paintings that are actually portraits of myself. Too, a couple of them are, and a couple of them are sacred art, and I have a really amazing. Um, portrait of Joan Rivers that I had purchased right when she died and you know uh, something like that uh, it's pretty priceless you know I, I, I an artist Jason Messier who's wonderful a sculptor and uh, artist painter sort of he's very in, in, unusual he'd done one of me and then um, when Joan died he did one of Joan using some of my um, stuff and, um, and now they're hanging sort of facing each other which uh yeah, I think this, the set now is, is, is quite valuable and, and also just valuable to me emotionally. That's interesting because initially you were anti-home buying, but then art is something really risky. I suppose it's something that you just have to buy first and foremost because you love it and you're not looking to make a gain. Yes. Um, but then when you start buying art, you <laughs> become friends with artists who start giving you art. Really? So, giving you art? Yeah. Like... Um, yeah, well, they start giving you art. Because they can so, say you know, that Margaret Cho is a customer and that helps them with their brand equity. Yeah, and then, you know, like, especially if I am and working with them from the beginning and, you know, they're creating a portrait for me, I'm being gifted with uh, uh, hundreds of studies. I get all of the studies. Hmm. And also in those, those things, um, when taken separately, can be framed and, and put, you know, you know, that, that, that I have, um, amassed a wealth of gifts from artists because I am such an avid collector. So the gifts by themselves, you know, that, that stuff, that's actually priceless, you know, because you see the development of certain painting and you see the, you, you know, the, uh, ideas that, that were brought in and then tossed or brought in and kept and, and then also to have the original artwork, it, it, it far exceeds what the expenditure was initially. You have an exhibit um, is what you have. An absolute, like a whole yeah. like timeline. That's amazing. Yeah. Numbers right. of exhibits. Yes. Um, Margaret, what's your number one money habit, a ritual that you perform regularly? It could be a thought process. It could be an, an app that you use. It could be anything, just something that keeps you connected to your finances. Oh, well, what I do is I go online and I shop 
for everything that I really, really want. And then I, you know, things that I just I really, really want. And I put it in the shopping cart and then I don't check out. And then if, <laughs> and I go back, I go back every once in a while, you know, uh, and if the thing is, you know, like I'll go back and as, as a lesson to myself about not spending, I'll go back and, you know, and then I'll see the, all the things that are still there that, and then I realize I really didn't want that. So that'll you know, be removed. Yeah. And, um, over time, things will go on sale or you'll sort of forget about things and your taste will change. And, and stuff. so I do, I do really, really a lot of online shopping without checking out to make sure I really want something. And if something keeps on my radar, if something keeps on bothering me, then I will, uh, look into buying it. It's brilliant. It's psychologically proven that when you distance yourself from a purchase, even if just for a few minutes, whether you're in the store or online, it really makes, it gives you clarity. But also, did you know that sometimes the store, if you have a cart that has been unchecked out, you've got stuff in it, they might actually email you and say, Hey, um, we noticed you have some items in your cart and you haven't pulled the trigger. Here's 10% off. It happens sometimes. Certain retailers, I think like, Oh, yeah. Pottery Barn does that yep. sometimes, and J. Crew. Mm-hmm. Yes, or or you will get ads while you're looking at the internet of the item that yeah. you looked at, <laughs> and then you realize, oh, I, now I really don't want it because you've shoved it into my face. The internet knows you know, a little like, too much about all my <laughs> all my habits, all my one a.m. shopping um, obsessions. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. too much. They really know a lot. They can get an, a real real idea of who you are, and then market everything else you know that you might want around. They're pretty accurate. I know. Oh, well, Margaret, you've been so much fun. Really quick, we do this really fun exercise at the end called So Money Fill in the Blanks, where you just finish the sentence, first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, not that I assume you play, but if you did win a lump sum of $100 million, I would? I would live exactly the same way because most of that money you'll have to spend on taxes. I have nothing that I really want in my life that I don't already have. Uh, I don't have a sense of like needing to get anything. I do have enough money to sort of get whatever I want anyway. So I would actually put that into my retirement fund if possible. Just try to get a, uh, a you know, and and pay the heavy taxes on that. Yeah, you know that's a, that's a lot. So I I don't think it would change anything. Maybe I should change that answer to a hundred million or um seventy million after taxes. <laughs> yes. Or fifty million after taxes, yeah. Yeah, they have to tax. I mean, I think yeah, it's probably fifty after if you want it. Yes, certainly. if it's like a lump sum, right? So, the one yeah. thing that I spend on, the one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is oh, uh, delivery food. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you <laughs> living these days? I, I live in Los Angeles, and I don't. I I really never want to drive anywhere. I'm so tired. And I love my delivery food. And you can really get, with the sort of apps now, you can get really great delivery food anytime. Yep. And it, but it's not like New York where it's very cheap and it, it takes a second here. It's like an hour. And I know, because someone's got to still drive to get to you. Yeah. And sometimes very far. So that's, we don't so we don't really have all that set up yet where it's great like New York, but it, 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 it's pricey. In it, but I, uh, that's my real vice. Delivery anything, um, delivery food, delivery groceries. Uh, this is, I should be doing this by myself, but I really don't want to. I'm so tired. I don't want to. Yes, it's, it's just too easy. It's too good. My yeah. biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is. Oh, uh, uh, I spend a lot of money on, um, 
getting my house cleaned, and I have a very special housekeeper who I've worked with since 1990, before I could afford anybody to clean my house. Oh, my gosh. She, got, she has like I a 401k with you at this point. She's been working with Absolutely. She is so well paid and well taken care of and well, you know, like for me, it's like I could never even imagine having, um, you know, a staff, but in a sense, I actually do. You know, so the people that work with me uh, have a lot of job security and they work with me real long time, uh, always. That's so, so great. Uh, You've built a little uh, Margaret Cho economy. Expenditure. Yeah. My major expenditure is, is uh, you know, people that I I work with. And they, I, just put, I put them through school and stuff so that they can do other jobs for me. So, uh, you know, like going from working as a um, assistant to now, you know, I put uh, some people through uh, producing school at UCLA, so now they're producing. Um, wow. So this is my, this is my, you know, like that's my major expenditure is is people that I can work with on different levels, you know, because I I have worked with them for such a long time, and so that they, they could do different jobs now. That's amazing. That's am- they're yeah. like family, and um, how yeah. great that you're, you know, you're taking them to the next level. Margaret Cho, you've been a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for joining us and good luck with all your projects and your tour in the fall. Thank you so much. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Margaret Cho, check out her website, margaretcho.com. She's on Twitter, at Margaret Cho. All of this information at somoneypodcast.com, where you can also get the transcript and comments from this episode and all episodes. And I want to hear from you. Submit your question about money or work, life or guests at somoneypodcast.com. There, just click on Ask Farnoosh and ask away. And and there's a very good chance that I will answer it this weekend. And as a reminder, if you'd like to win a free 15-minute money session with me, just go over to iTunes and leave a review for this show. Every Saturday, I select one new reviewer to receive a free 15-minute money jam session with me. And I have been doing this now for a couple of months. Love this part of my job. It's a great privilege to connect with some of you one-on-one. And if you're into this, please go on iTunes, leave a review, and hopefully we will connect. Thanks again to my guest, Margaret Cho, and thank you to you for tuning in. Hope to see you right back here tomorrow. In the meantime, hope your day is so money.